everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, the podcast about baseball and rock and roll. Tonight, episode number 59, we're going to take you to 1976. The 70s was a decade of dynasties. The Oakland A's won three championships, while the Yankees won two. Sandwiched in between was the Cincinnati Reds and the Big Red Machine winning the 75 and 76 series, led by 1976 MVP second baseman Joe Morgan, along with George Foster, Pete Rose, and future Hall of Famers Johnny Bench and Tony Perez. 1976 will also be a year of saves that went beyond Eastwick and Lyle. A last-minute buyer will save the San Francisco Giants from moving to Toronto. Rick Monday will save a flag from burning. And an emergency operation will save a, Dodgers, a Dodger catcher's life. Hank Aaron will hit his 755th and final home run, while El Presidente, Dennis Martinez, will notch the first of his 245 career wins. Uh, and, of course, the other major dynasty of the 1970s, of, of course, was prog rock. Um, that in mind, I want to introduce our special guest tonight. We've got our friend John White from Kansas City. How are you, John? I'm doing well, thanks. Great. Hello. John's a great musician and just an all-around encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, of music. So we're glad to have you, John. Thanks for sitting in with us, buddy. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here. Yeah, and again, my name is Gabe Estel, and I'm here with my co-host, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. Um, let's just dive right into music, guys. Um, you know, I was I was talking to John and uh, and Jonathan Levi uh, before you logged on, and you know we've this is the third year that we've profiled in music and baseball, and the other two, um, you know, eighty six and ninety six. I, I felt like with nineteen eighty six, there were um, more good albums maybe than we anticipated than we had than we had remembered, right? You know, once we yeah, look back definitely. on them, yeah. And then um, in 1996, I was so I was in. This is somewhat true for you guys as well. I, I was in high school, John, so I was I was into older music so much that, like, aside from just a handful of bands, I was kind of ignoring popular music in 1996, yeah. at least a lot yeah. of it. Right. So you know, I didn't. We didn't necessarily have, as, I think, as big as a of a of a pool uh, to pull from. You know, in 1996. 1976. I mean, oh yeah, this is the you wheelhouse. Guys in the mood for a nine-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. we could, we could, uh, we could. This is the bread and butter. Right yeah, here, we've yeah. got a lot of ground to cover. And you know, one of the things before we start sharing a couple of our favorite albums, um, 1976 was kind of the year. Um, you know, it was a really important year for prog rock, which we're going to talk about here um, in a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, see 1976, a lot of like maybe traditional rock music fans, as kind of the beginning of the end of a lot of iconic records from like the titans of classic rock. You know, I think in a lot of people's eyes, disco kind of tainted popular music for the rest of the decade. But, you know, as I was looking around 1976, I think there are just a ton of outstanding non-disco albums. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, disco certainly ruled the pop charts during those years, you know, 1976 yeah. and kind of until the end of the decade, but people were still making great start to finish albums. Um, so why don't we share some of ours here? Uh, guys, we've got a special guest, John, tonight. John, um, you know, I think you were the only one of us actually alive in 1976. <laughs> so, um, so you've got a little bit of firsthand experience that we don't have, but do you mind telling us kind of what albums stand out to you from 76? Uh, from that time, the, some of the stuff that I was listening to, um, I remember the Frampton Comes Alive came out and it was just huge, you know. I mean, it, uh, that's a great album. Um, yeah. The Hearts debut album, Dreamboat Annie, yeah. Yeah. Was, was huge. Um, for me, like Rush's 2112 is, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. is a classic. And also their... Uh, all the world's a stage came out later in the year too, which was actually the first album that I owned by them. So it's still one of my favorites of theirs. So, um, and then looking back, I Vandegraaff generators still life album, which I wasn't into them at that time, you know, 11 years old. I think they would probably be a pretty scary <laughs> band to listen to. But, yeah, uh, a little dark. A little dark. <laughs> they're one of like, my uh, favorite, favorite albums now, well, you know. Well, worry about it. it. It's, it's, listening it's, it's, to Vandegraaff Generator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good album. counselor talks to the parents. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it would be 
it would be a tough first foray into Prague if that, if that was your first record you got. You would be like, wow. Hard. <laughs> well, you know, like Roundabout by Yes and stuff was on the radio. It was considered to be pretty normal. So, yeah, that's uh, true. A lot more accessible Prague, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Styx, you know, was big. Crystal Ball came out in 76, I think. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Man for Bands, Earth Band, The Roaring Silence, which had some uh, Bruce Springsteen covers on yeah. it. Yeah. Definitely had some heads. And then a much already, different yeah. style. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Beck's Wired, mm. uh, which was... Great record. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, I think that was like the first solo album, actually, that I heard of his and was just blown away by his, his playing, you know. So, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like Hotel California came out later in that year, too, which yeah. was pretty amazing. And I know I had forgotten that that was that year, too, but... Uh, what else did we talk about? Uh, Queen's Day at the Races. Oh, yeah. Which, um, isn't quite as strong as maybe Night at the Opera, but still has some really great songs on it. You tie your mother down, yeah. somebody to love. Production on that is solid. It oh, just yeah. it sounds great. Like, it's Roy right. Thomas Baker, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It sounds right. like it was it, it was um, it could have been recorded, not that it means anything, it could have been recorded last month, basically. It sounds yeah. timeless. Yeah, right. yeah. He was he's he was such a good producer. Him and him and um him and Bob Ezrin, um, you know, really, you know, really the producers of the seventies, you know, like a couple yeah. of them at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, like a Alice Cooper's goes to hell album from mm-hmm. that year too, which oh, yeah. Ezrin, yeah. so, uh, rainbows rising album. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I saw a rainbow yeah. shirt the other day. It was <laughs> wearing really? one in Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it was kind of the, that was 1976 would have been the, the, um, post, Deep Purple era we were entering, you know, because you had Rainbow come out, right, in 76. Right. Tommy Boland died in 76, yeah, I believe. Sad. Was it 76? Right? Yeah, I believe he did. Because Private Eyes came out in 76. Yeah, I, I believe he died in 76 still. Yeah, near the end of the year, I think. Yeah, I think you're but, right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, he, yeah, he died December 4th, 76. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, John, some of the albums you mentioned... Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we talked about Prague earlier, and then you mentioned some some more popular records, too. To me, it seems like 1976 was kind of a year where um, Prague kind of, and Levi touched on this a little bit, became a little bit more accessible. You know, like, it, there was kind of like, you know, you had the first Boston record come out in 1976, right. which, yeah, you know, it's... Um, you know, it's, it's maybe... It's not an Emerson, Lake, and Palmer or a Vandergraaff Generator record, but... You know, there are elements of progressive music on Boston's record. Yeah. You know, let's sure. the, beginning the of keyboards. Four, yeah. yeah, the beginning of foreplay, yeah. you know, right. Um, and then uh, also you've got, um, you know, you mentioned Sticks, Crystal Ball, uh, Canvas. Or, I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, Kansas, Left Overture, right? right? Came out in 76, I believe. Which is, yeah, that's to me like the epitome of a good blend of kind of progressive music with more popular radio-friendly radio. music. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the oh, stuff yeah. was complex, but it was all on the radio. I mean, you heard yeah. all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. right. So, so, yeah, it, it, it seems like to me that, um, you know, Prague's kind of moment in the popular spotlight was, 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 was high still, you know, but um, you, uh, it, it, it was becoming a little bit different, you know, like you could see it kind of moving to a little bit more of a radio-friendly, accessible you know, um, kind of maybe shorter songs, kind of maybe somewhat more tightly crafted, if that's what you're into. Yeah. Um, I, I just sure. saw that as kind of a trend emerging in 76. And then also, I think another important thing with 1976, um, you know, you've got the first uh, Genesis record without Peter Gabriel as well. Right. Um, yeah, two of them. The Tale, which I think is an f- outstanding record. Um, you know, Genesis was, was kind of going through a transitional period. Um but they still, and some people think that you know, Trick of the Tail was sort of, I don't know, you could you could sort of hear Gabriel's influence on it a little bit. You know, Collins maybe quite wasn't yeah. quite sure how to sort of, you know, get get from uh, they were still the drum using, kit somewhat. I they were say. still using the same formula. Yeah. They still kind of were using the same formula. Yeah, um, you know, things didn't really 
take a really sharp left turn, really, until, like, and then there were three. And Right, after Steve special. Hackett left is when they really started to go in the direction that they ended up going. Yeah, and uh, which I've learned to appreciate as I get older, um, the, you know, that, that, that transition that they made, I think. Uh, I yeah, think Duke Ab- and Abacab are both still great albums, I think. Oh, yeah. I, even th- I think the... I think everything up until Invisible Touch, I can pretty yeah, much. Yeah, well, right. You know, <laughs> like, like I mean, I, 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 I like, I like the, the self-titled album. But, yeah, I like the self-titled yeah. record too. So, sure. um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an all-era Genesis fan now. I'm not afraid to admit it. <laughs> it's amazing how much Genesis comes up in all of these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we have really talked about them quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so the, you know, those stand out to me. And then, lastly, I'm sorry, I'll t- pass it over to Jonathan and um, um, and uh, and Levi. Um, John, I don't know if I ever told you this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge Kiss fan. All right. And um, 1976 was kind of the year Kiss really took over the world, you know. Um, right. Uh, a lot. You know, Kiss is one of those bands that kind of like Frampton, um, like you had mentioned. And I think a couple of years later, if you look at Cheap Trick with Budokan, um, their live album really put them on the map more than their studio work. You know, with Kiss, it was a live that was the first uh, album I ever bought with my own money, as a matter of fact. Uh, really? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Um, and, and then in 1976, by the time, you know, Alive had really taken off, you know, Kiss kind of went from openers to being headliners right around 75, 76. And next thing you know, by the end of 1976, early 77, there's a Gallup poll, and Kiss is the biggest band, the most popular band in the world, you know, I, at least for a brief time. Um so Kiss put out two records actually in '76, Destroyer, which pr- was produced by Bobbers and who I mentioned earlier. That, um, and that and sounds awesome. That album Destroyer. stands up as well. The production yeah. on it sounds great. Yeah, it's, uh, production-wise, it's great. Um, you know, Jonathan, I think parts of Destroyer, from what I read at the time, I don't know if necessarily they were divisive, but um, you know, the, the songs are um, they're not as raw, you know, as mm-hmm. the first three Kiss records. Mm-hmm. Um, and please, guys, stop me if I just start talking about Kiss all the time. <laughs> um, um, the first three Kiss records are kind of like, you know, sort of like, you know, New York Dolls, but instead of in blush, they're in kabuki makeup. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and, and I mean, that's what they sound like. You know, they've got a really raw sound. Um, and then Destroyer comes around because you know, they're a big band and, and Destroyer is more ambitious. You know, obviously jonathan mentioned the production value is much more sophisticated and complex than those first three records um uh, and you know destroyer is probably kiss's most famous studio record and it's the first kiss cd i got but i don't know if it's my favorite album by them just because you know i I like kiss to rip and there's there's a couple you know, sort of like you could tell it was just great expectations. Yeah, great expectations. Right? <laughs> you could tell that was just Gene. Like, oh, I, I think we can do anything. You know, <laughs> like, uh, and uh, you know, maybe that's not the case. And Ace was just like, whatever, Gene. You know, um, so so yeah. Um, you know, Kiss '76 was was huge for Kiss. Huge. I mean, they uh, everybody was everybody was into. I mean, everybody everybody knew who they were by then. 1976. Oh, yeah. You know, parents and grandparents and yeah. kids. Everybody knew Kiss. So, '76 stands out to me as the year of Kiss, but uh, also some of the other albums I mentioned too. Yeah, and, and admittedly, when I say that it sounds, I think it sounds awesome. I don't. I'm not a big Kiss listener, sure. so I came into it pretty cold listening yeah. to that album. And uh, so that, yeah, that, that's the perspective that I have with that. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they, yeah, they, they brought. Um, they brought Urzen in, and you know they busted out the big guns there. You know they could it was kind of I mean uh, some backup singers and I, all that. You know? it, 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 this album was later, but it was kind of like their pyromania. Like Def Leppard hmm. had kind of put out some records that weren't as polished, and yeah. then it was like they threw all the money on the production hmm. and came Little out with that. But Lang in, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but to, to me, seventy six and it's all about the live records. Um, John mentioned the uh, the live Rush record that year. Well, two of the live records that came out that year, I wore out CDs of. Um, one was Bob Seger's Live Bullet, and the other right. was uh, Leonard Skinner's One from the Road. Right, One from the Road is seventy six. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, those two live records, I think, I don't know, just 
I, I, I've worn out copies of each of them on vinyl and CD. And it, it, at that time, like in the mid-90s, late-90s, when I got my first copy of One From The Road on CD, it was, I think, the first live Skinnered I think I'd ever heard, really, because this, you know, the internet wasn't as big, YouTube wasn't as big. They didn't have out now all the different live releases, bootleg series that they've done and all that. And so to hear some of those Skinner songs live was just awesome. I still, I still think that's the definitive version of Whiskey Rock and Roller off of One More from the Road, for sure. sure. Right on. I got that album from the uh, Columbia House Record Club or whatever. Nice. You know. nice. Those kind of <laughs> and, uh, yeah. nice. Oh, you got to take a drink every time you say Columbia House. <laughs> there you go. New games. Nice. 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 Yeah, I learned to play a lot of guitar playing along with that album. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. Right on. You had Steve Gaines in the band too, you know, who really, in my opinion, um, was was the missing piece that Skinnerd. I mean, they granted they had worked with three guitarists before, but I don't think with anyone quite as quite as uh, as talented as him. Yeah, and on our best. Oh yeah, the, and on the other side of it, with the Bob Seger record, just the the combination of Traveling Man and a Beautiful Loser, <laughs> it's just like amazing. I don't, I can that song I have heard probably thousands of times, and if it's still on the radio, I turn it up if I'm there. I don't know why. I just I I've always loved it. It's the staying power of a song. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right on. Um, yeah. You know, for me. It, it was interesting that it, it did take me a while to um, realize, or it took me a while to get into albums from 76. Like, it really didn't have, happen until college. Um, you know, other than, like, Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, you know, that that, that album, uh, self-titled album. Oh, um, right. You know, kind of obvious ones like that. But then in, in college, where most kids are, you know, turned on to experimental guitars like... Uh, well, not so experimental, but Tommy Boland. Tommy Boland's Private Eyes that we mentioned earlier um, uh, is uh, just blew me, blew me away from uh, busting out for Rosie and and uh, post toasty man. Oh and yeah, just to hear those, uh, and it's not just about the guitars with with Boland either. It's just like the sax uh, incorporated into it, and that was when I learned that sax could be done tastefully. And still, you know, true to the spirit of rock and roll and not, you know, it doesn't necessarily denote cheese, which, mm-hmm. which, which is often the case in the 80s and uh, early 90s. Uh, and, and I assume for, for all of us, it's a, it's a pretty big album. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Great um, record. And uh, uh, as well, uh, you know, when I heard uh, the – this – this album turned me on to uh, this band, Te- ZZ Top's Tejas. Here uh, in uh, El Diablo, just blew me out of the water. That da 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 da. I was like, I need to own this album, and 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 yeah, snagged it at Recycle Levi. Nice. Yeah, the production and the guitars on that I think are classic top. Can't go wrong with that one. That that one's that one's my quintessential top record. That's before they started going kind of cheesy with their stuff. Exactly. Too, you know, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. For the- it all went all went downhill. Went down. I don't know if downhill because I like some of their cheesy songs, but uh, oh, I do too. Yeah, yeah, like uh, El Loco is kind of when they started to. Right. It became a little less bluesy. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah synthesizer cranking those up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well. Jonathan had touched on a couple of the albums that he got into later in 19, uh, you know, like yeah, it's 2000 into them in high 2000s. school. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, cause I, I mentioned kiss in Boston and I, I listened to the hell out of those, you know, when, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, real, real quick, uh, but you know, Betsy and I, we, we put on the Boston album and we're like, okay, yeah. we've never listened to this album. And then we realized eight songs in, Oh, we have heard this album. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, that's, that's what hurts that album a little bit. And it's not yeah. Boston's fault. Not uh, at all. It's just, that, no. you know, I mean, you, yeah, Good you know, the classic rock radio station the album's got like six singles on it, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, he'd been working yeah. on that album for years you know, mm-hmm. I mean, crafting all those tunes for sure. literally years before they recorded it. I think. So. Well, it, 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 it was recorded in his basement of his. Yeah. Of his no apartment. kidding. 
He made yeah. all those effects. That's like why it was it, until he came out with that line of Rockman gear, it was really tough to get his tone. Yeah, because oh, like he had created a bunch of all of his own effects pedals. He yeah, still, everybody wants to know what he was he, using. Yeah, he still huh. tours with all that stuff. When I worked for Boston a couple years ago. He was still carrying full racks, full, like, <laughs> the size of a door racks, two of them, full with all of the stuff. And one of the racks was just for backup. <laughs> yeah, it was like like a NASA control panel behind he, him. Well, he, he, he put that MIT education to good use, that's, man. Yeah, that's yeah he, sure. went to, he went to MIT. No kidding. So, wow. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, he's, uh, he, was a, he was a sharp guy. Um, still is a sharp guy, so... Yeah, and he certainly. He John's for, right. He takes oh, his time. Yeah, there's about there's about you know those Boston record. Well, except for that, what "Don't Look Back" was the one they put out shortly after the first one. Two, yeah, um, it came out in '78. Yeah, that one was a little rushed, but you know their next album, like they took like eight years to make. <laughs> so they should have taken longer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it took them eight years to count all the money from the first two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, was, it, was, it was interesting how them and ELO fought over the UFO album covers for the 70s. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. You know, There's another band that put out an album in 76. Uh, ELO had a what, New World record that year, I believe. Uh-huh. So. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's, that's, yeah that's a good album. It mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Right before my favorite one of theirs. But yeah. uh, wh- Which one was that? <clears throat> out of the Blue. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Next. yeah. You, you know, also, guys, kind of sort of a I don't know I guess maybe you could call it kind of a cousin of Prague because it was certainly progressive jazz um you know the the fusion movement was pretty strong in 1976 absolutely you got you got uh you got um you got first album coming out right um Mm -hmm. or a self-titled album Mm um uh Chick uh Chick Corea put out uh The Leprechaun Return to Forever's uh, Romantic Warrior, I think. Mm-hmm. Return to yeah. Forever with Romantic Warrior. That album Warrior. is amazing. You talk about I have it. Album. I have it sitting yeah. right next to me. I was just listening to it before. <laughs> and you know, I don't have them in front of me. There's a few others I'm probably forgetting, but you know, that was that was kind of the the height of that era. Of well, that, and that one of the records that I got into later from that was Pat Metheny's Bright Size Life. There you go. Right. Yep. That year. Yep. And that record is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. So yeah, I've definitely dove way more into the fusion now than than I ever had before when I was younger. And another one that I've found out since then, and I have no idea. I'm going to say this guy's name wrong, probably, but I think it's John Michel Jarre. I don't know how you say it. I know who you're talking. But, uh, about. Yeah. His album called Oxygen came out that year, and it's I really think. good. Yeah, you know, Levi, it was so weird when you mentioned that because uh, just like a week earlier, I had added his album Equinox to okay. uh, uh to my apple music collection i uh, have those yeah yeah and it was the first time i had i had ever heard of them first time i listened to it and then you mentioned them the very next week with that album oh yeah <laughs> been it's been out. probably 30 years since i've heard that album so really <laughs> yeah. it's kind of tangerine dreamy i think in a way or something was yeah it? it's, it's it's definitely got some ambient type music yeah you know yeah mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I felt I felt like I was in like a Jim Henson movie at times, <laughs> for sure. I literally thought that. Right. You know, the cool thing was, you know, that it's 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 really reassuring to to hear that like challenging music like fusion was really popular. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's cool. I mean, all those all those bands that you know those albums that we just mentioned, the Refusion, they all came out on pretty they all came out on big labels. You know the. Oh, yeah. Bands played big venues. You there know, there was a large um, portion of listeners that were very discerning. Yeah, yeah, and, you could say the same thing with progressive music too. You know what uh, I mean? They oh, yeah. they were typically audiophiles. They typically, you know, they typically listened to prog exclusively. Yeah. A lot of them, you know, or it, it was a totally different time. And it's it's awesome that it ha- it got to happen because it's, now it's kind of unfathomable. Yeah, looking us. back. Like, yeah, like, how did that ever happen? Yeah, how could like how could like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer like get on the radio? Could get on the radio and like sell out a stadium? You know what I mean? It's not. I mean, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. That sounds like heaven to me. But like, yeah, but it pushed them towards Love Beach. You know, so uh, (laughs) I'm not sure that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, 1976, 1977. You know, you you know everybody from uh, you know the. 
the the stoners to the captain of the cheerleading team were going to an ELP concert. You know, I mean, it was just it <laughs> yeah. was reached such a large audience. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one other just one totally stripped down. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this record. It's much different than the ones we've discussed so far. Um, Ry Cooter's uh, Chicken Skin Music oh, yeah. is, <laughs> is really good. It's it's yeah. like I said. Much different than I got the, the bourgeois that, blues. That's right. That's a good one. That's a, and I have to admit that's one that you know I I can't say it was I was cool enough yeah, to have I that one in high school. Yeah, you know? I, I, mean, I picked it up on vinyl a couple of years. Yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, I just got into it fairly recently as well. If I would have showed up at right. my high school with that, people would have looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I mean, it's obviously it's a much quieter album, you know than. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of those others that we mentioned with the big production values. And then, you know, a really popular record that came out that year as well is uh, Boss Skaggs' Silk Degrees. Oh, yeah. Great of them. Yeah, went like, went like, like, sold like four or five million copies. Yeah, something the production like that. on that one is excellent as well. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Um, I think we're spoiled in the 70s with, with good production. Like, okay. looking back, I think a lot of people thought at the time stuff was too slick. But, like, as a kid who grew up listening to the production values of, like, late 90s music, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it left a lot to be desired of the 70s, which I which I enjoy, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, that, you know, there was a lot of attention on the album, you know? Like, I mean, the album is how you got heard, you know? The album is, you know, was your vehicle, you know it what I mean? YouTube. It was everything, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's true. a lot of work went into it. Yeah, it was, was the pinnacle of the album. I... I think that um, uh, with you know, I stumbled upon this this uh, band called Gasoline, and and I've been pushing it for like two weeks. Everybody I talk to, like in the in the grocery store, you know, pumping gas, I'm like Gasoline, Gasoline, and and uh, they they were a um, uh, they were a, a band. They were a Danish band that up to that point had released you know everything you know, in, uh, in their, in Dutch and, uh, uh, the Danish speak Dutch, correct? I, I actually confirmed that real quick. Yes. <laughs> okay, <thank you. laughs> um, uh, and, and what they did uh, in 1976, they released this album called what a lemon. And it's really confusing because it's, it's an album cover that they borrowed from their third record, but it's like their fourth record re-recorded. Wow. With English lyrics, <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's really confusing if you look at their discography. And it took me a while to figure it out. And so they re-recorded this album all with all English lyrics, and it sounds awesome. It sounds totally, uh, you know, on par with some of the best seventies rock. And it's Gasoline's "What a Lemon." You can find it on YouTube. You can't find it on Apple Music. No, um, you probably I won't find it in your I'll, local record store. I'll I listened to the first it. couple of songs this morning. Yeah, it was pretty good. It, it's fun. It's 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 a <laughs> lot of fun. Um, and they were huge over in Europe, but uh, and they were trying to gain some traction here and didn't really. But um, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, one that we yeah. Then you said Roy Thomas Baker was on that one too, right? Yeah, Roy Thomas Baker yeah. produced yeah. it. Yeah, nice. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. He um he also worked with a band that um I think they put out a record in '76. I think. John, are you familiar with Star Castle? Yeah, that was yeah. Their first album came out in '76. Okay, that's a good record too. Sure. Um, yeah, I I they're from actually I've I've got a another i like the music and then also i've got a soft spot for it they're from central illinois right so uh yeah they formed in champaign well their singer um, and, originally was in reo speedwagon right you're right yeah. Oh. yeah and then um i no gosh it was the guy from head east went on to join petra i'm sorry i was i couldn't remember <laughs> well, this, John he, yeah. he became a he became a christian rock artist too terry literal i think right terry literal right right yeah. that's Literal. Yeah, um, I forgot the guy's name, but they got a hell of a bass player in Star Castle as well. Um, he rips. Yeah, I forgot his name. Gary but... Strader. Yes, that dude. That dude's awesome. So I yeah, just got, out the first... got that off Wikipedia. I confess, I did not pull that. <laughs> oh, you do it. <laughs> I mean, they were Star Castle were definitely. Um, they were certainly yes acolytes. You know, like uh, yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think like it's 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 the tunes are good. I mean, it's not necessarily going to hold up as the most original album when you look at what was popular during that era you know it's like 
yeah, you listen to it, you're like, obviously, this sounds good. These guys really like yes a lot, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, even the voices are similar as well. But that's a, that's a, that's another good one as well that I'd forgotten. Yeah, it really um, is. And, you know, and I was thinking, um, you know, probably the album that most people would consider the best record of that year we haven't mentioned yet. Anybody? Anybody guess? Oh, uh, Stevie Wonder. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I don't Songs know. Like, I'd have to give it. I, 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 I don't get me wrong. I love the record. I'd have to give it. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't. I can't really say which one's the best from that year. Right. But I think most critics would probably agree that that one. That one usually tops most lists for that, this year. That thing was number one on the Billboard 200 from October 16th through the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it dethroned Frampton Comes Alive. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, it was, um, gosh, probably, you know, the, and like after that, he didn't put out that many great albums afterwards. You know what I mean? This was kind of like, it's kind of a swan song, really, you know, as far as really interesting records, I think, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, that's Huge. that's a big, great record, you know, I mean, it's uh, definitely he worked hard on that one. I mean, yeah, it's just, and, and, you, and it's a testament to the power of the album in 1976. Yeah, you know, you compare yeah. that. You know, what that's a double LP, right? So you compare that and and what Boston was able to do. Yeah, man, they didn't fuck around with albums in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they had the shit in order. <laughs> yeah. Another live soundtrack actually that came out was a uh, what song remains the same. I think came out at the end of that year too. So. Right. Not saying it's a great album by any means, but uh, it did come out that year. So. Yeah. How do you guys feel Presence holds up? Ah, glad you mentioned that. I. Uh, it's got some cuts, man. It, it does. And it opens with just a ripper. You know, yeah, just that's, that's one of their right the great bat. songs right there. Yeah. Um, I like it. You know, it, Presence isn't the first like Zeppelin record that most kids get into. You know, I mean, for yeah. me, I, I have to admit, for me, I didn't really discover presence until college just because, you know, you just don't, you know, you pick up two. You're hanging around four. one through four. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. You go through, you, you kind of go through those first or maybe Houses of the Holy and then like maybe Physical Graffiti. And then like, you know, kind of in college, I started to appreciate presence and in through the outdoor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I like presence. Yeah. I mean, it was. If, if I'm not mistaken, it was recorded really quickly, right? Didn't they, like, bust it out in, like, two or three weeks, something like that? Yeah, I, I it seemed like, like they, they just hold up and, like, worked hours and hours every day. Just to, yeah. like, 18 days. Out. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. I mean, I think it I, – I, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's good. I think it, like, it deserves a second listen, you know? I mean, it deserves – if you haven't listened to it in a while, it deserves another listen. Do you like it? Jonathan? Yeah, I, I, I think um, actually it's it's funny because it's it's what the Crows and Page did to nobody's fault but mine that really opened my eyes to what a good song that is. Mm-hmm. And because whenever oh. I hear nobody's fault but mine, I actually ca- kind of expect Chris Robinson's vocals. On oh yeah, it. it's funny. Yeah, <laughs> there are certain Zeppelin songs after that Jimmy Page record, I'll hear them and I'll be I'll just be like, what version is this? You know, I'm like, wow, you know, it's. You just get used to the power and the sound of those Page and Crows, I think. The uh, the Hot Song for Nowhere is a good song off that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it ain't bad. Yeah. Well, um, you know what, guys? Let's um, let's go from the stage to the diamond here for a, for a, for the for the latter part of the episode and uh, talk about baseball in 1976. Um, you know, uh, looking back at the 70s, um, you really had, you know, your dominant franchises. You know what I mean? Like there were only, I mean, a handful of teams kind of ruled the 70s. You know, the A's, the early part of the decade, kind of the Reds in the middle, and then, you know, I guess the Pirates near the, oh, the Yankees, Yankees and the Pirates. And Pirates yeah. Yankees and the Pirates near the end. Um, and, you know, the Pirates kind of showed up a few times in the early 70s, too, I think. Um, so, you know, there wasn't a lot of parody in baseball, really, in the 70s, um, to my knowledge. You know, I mean, I'm looking at all the division winners here, and it was a lot of the same teams over and over. Um, but, you know, Levi, you you looked into the National League a little bit. Oh, and, no, I looked into the National League. Or you National looked into the National yeah. League, and it was um, 
you know, I mean, it's like the Reds and the Phillies both won over a hundred games. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't know when yeah. the last time that happened. I mean, like, granted, we have three divisions now, but no, yeah, right. yeah, right. I can't think of another time that we've had two a hundred game winners. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. in the same division. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the Montreal Expos suffered because of it, going fifty-five and one hundred and seven. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Baseball, um, baseball was new to Montreal. Still, <laughs> it was. There was no baseball whatsoever in Montreal prior to that year. Just so, to... so here's a crazy story that I learned uh, just today that uh, Canada almost had a second team in 1976. In that, in January, Labatt's, the beer company, agreed yeah. to buy the San Francisco Giants. And well, have them play in Toronto in 1976, like in three months. They were going to have them play in Toronto. And it wasn't until a month later that there was like an injunction and this guy stepped up and uh, ended up paying, get this, like $8 million for the, <laughs> for the San Francisco Giants <laughs> to stay in San Francisco. Um, it was wild because I guess, you know... The, that pays for, like, one Transformers arm in a movie right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. It, it's weird to think that the Giants wouldn't be, uh, you know, wouldn't have good attendance and that they would, you know, that they would be up for sale and, you know, potentially move. But it turned out that they had, you know, since the A's moved into town from Kansas City... Uh, they were stealing, I won't say the stealing, but siphoning from uh, the, the fan base. And obviously the A's early success in the 70s uh, uh, took a lot of that. Oh, yeah. And so it's weird to think that the Giants, you know, the San yeah. Francisco Giants came that close to yeah. not being anymore. Yeah, one of the yeah, really just... vanguard teams, you know, of, of right now. Yeah. And... Yeah, just, yeah, I mean, just think York, if the Blue Jays had won all those World Series the last few years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Blue Jays came around the next year. Right. right. Yeah, they, they still got a team. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They did. Yeah. Yep. So you know, this is '76 is pre Mariners and pre Blue Jays. Right. Yeah. Because they, they were '77. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah. 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 So tell, uh, tell me a little bit about the Rick Monday saving the flag thing. So yeah, I, I I think a lot of people know it uh, on its periphery, which is you know these two guys run out, and you can see footage of this on YouTube. Two guys run out at Dodger Stadium, I believe, and uh, uh, with a flag and like hold it down on on uh, like mid left field, and Rick Monday is playing center field, I believe. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're dousing the flag with lighter fluid, and they strike a match, and it doesn't light. And Rick Monday's running, and in a little documentary about it, he's thinking at first he's just going to bowl him over, like to just. But he realizes that they can't catch the flag on fire uh, <laughs> because you know when you know idiots are running around, shit like that happens. And uh, and so he just decides to go ahead and swoop it up, and it looks like the dude throws the canister, like the lighter fluid canister, at him. Uh, oh, wow. If you look at the footage, it's weird. Like the dude chucks something, and it looks like, and something it appears falls at uh, Monday's feet as he's running into the infield with this flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday says he gets letters all the time about it, and and uh, uh, obviously seventy six, you know, is contentious. Very fitting, yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and Rick Monday went on to hit like thirty some home runs that year, anyway. Uh, so uh, he was raking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, um, Mike Schmidt hit 12 home runs in his first 15 games that year. Um, in the first 15 games of the year, including four against the Chicago Cubs, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the Mike Schmidt game. Yeah, um, Dave Kingman also had a big game, I think, against the Cubs that year. And he yeah, hit, Chicago like, wasn't really a great place to be for <laughs> 70s baseball. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like either side of town, like drunk and taking your shirt off, like it yeah. Was a- <laughs> yeah, the White Sox were abysmal. They won like 65, 67 games or something like that in 1976. Um, a really interesting home run that year. Joe Necro, the pitcher, Houston Astros pitcher, hit the only home run of his career off of his brother, Phil Necro, Phil. to tie yeah. the game that they eventually won. <laughs> so it was like a big nice. home run that he probably hopefully held over him at uh, family reunions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but oh, uh, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Real quick, just to uh, touch, uh, 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 round back to what we mentioned in the intro, um, uh, Dodgers catcher Steve Yeager was uh, in the on-deck circle, 
uh, during a game, and uh, there was a broken bat at the plate, and and splinters of it uh, uh, lodged uh, into his esophagus, yeah. and uh, he, it required ninety minutes of surgery. Like he was probably, you know, his life was at stake, and yeah, that's uh, this happened just like. Randomly, uh, as a result, since he was a catcher, he was obviously you know uh, when he came back to play, he was a little concerned about his throat, and so they invented that little drop down flap oh. that covers the throat. The um, it was like a Dodgers bench coach invented that. That was eventually adopted by all catchers, pretty much to to protect the throat okay. because go. of Steve Yeager. Yeah, I'm, we mentioned you know obviously seventy six the Reds you know, kind of dominate the conversation sometimes when people talk about the, and I was looking, it's rightfully so I, I'm looking at the NL MVP voting for 1976. You've got a third of the red starting lineup that made it in the top Jeez. 25 in voting. Wow. Yeah. And you know what, I think what really set Joe Morgan apart uh, on, with, on top of his, you know, his average and his home runs and his RBIs was he stole 60 bases. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He earned that MVP. Oh yeah, five tool, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you had George Foster tearing it up too. You know. Oh, you he was. Yeah. One of the things that I think is amazing about that is you Morgan was the MVP, and he was one of six Reds to win the MVP in eight years. Six huh. six Reds won the MVP eight years in a row. Out of eight years. I, I yeah. can't imagine that's ever been equaled. No, it just, that, that that seems like a statistic you got on your video game when you were a little kid or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I mean, they're just so good. I mean, you know, those piggyback on what Levi just said, and also revert back to what I said. You know, those guys I was mentioning. You know, like, you know, you got like you got like seven guys in your lineup hitting over three hundred. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, it's yeah. insane. The Big Red Machine, that's a great I, that, name You can put it. that team up against just about anybody. You know, it's kind of a cliche, yeah. but, you know, you, you really could. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and they uh, would have more Hall of Famers, except Pete Rose isn't allowed in. <laughs> and, they, and they had won it the year before, too. Right. Yeah, 75. Yeah, that right. was the that was what considered one of the best World Series of all time against right. the Red Sox. Against the, the Red Sox, yeah. The Carlton right. Fisk, right. Game 6. <laughs> well, you know, switch over to the, uh, to the AL. Um, you know, I mean, the... The Royals, you know, were were good. You know, I mean, I mean, you guys in Kansas City. I mean, Brett, um, Brett led uh, the league. Uh, he got the. Um, he didn't win the MVP. That was Thurman Munson, but he, um, he won the batting title. Won the batting right. title. Yeah, three thirty three. McCray was um, just one one point yeah. behind them, right? So. Yeah, yeah. And McCray was yeah, right dramatically there as well. so, right? Yeah, yeah. It came down to like the last game of like, the season. Something I can't remember exactly. Like last at bat in uh, charges yeah. of racism. No. Uh, Against the twins, I don't. I didn't remember that from then, but yeah, I think uh, I yeah. read that. Some- yeah, it's it's a contentious uh, batting title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you also had Amos Odo, uh, Amos Otis, Otis? Uh, uh-huh. uh, from the Royals that year, finishing high in the MVP uh, voting as well. So yeah, good Royals team. Kind of was that kind of the. I don't know. Were they good in '75 as well? Was that kind of the start of the Royals being you know pretty? Really competitive there for about ten ten years or so, seventy six right around there probably. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the period. The next three years they were they made it to the championship. So, yeah, and lost to the Yankees all three years. You know, so, right, uh, right. And but yeah, that was that was kind of the, the beginning of the the golden era of uh, of the Royals certainly. Um, Which is remarkable to think because you know what they started in sixty nine, right? Right, correct. And here they are. Seven years later, eight years later, and they're, you know, perennial contenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't. It didn't take long to get off the ground. Um, you know, um, kind of one of the probably the more interesting stories from '76 in the AL is you know the bird is the word. You know, oh, yeah. Mark Fitterich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, nineteen and nine is rookie year. Um, you know, almost wins the Cy Young. So yeah, um, it was. Uh, that, I think that's you know that's that's probably one of baseball's more interesting stories from that year. I think um, he started the All Star game too. He did. You can yeah. find that online. It's it's fun to watch him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, he was he was fun. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, it's it's an unfortunate story in the sense that you know he wasn't able to sustain that success. Um, but um, 
yeah, he certainly made made things fun for Tigers fans that year in all of baseball mm-hmm. too. Um, also, you know, there was a really big fight. I mentioned this earlier, but you can pull it up on YouTube. We'll we'll post a link to it. Um, probably one of baseball's bigger brawls was on May twentieth, nineteen seventy six, when the Yankees and the Red Sox and Lou Pinella ran just just bulldozed through Fisk at uh, at home plate. And it just started a series of brawls that almost never seemed to end. So definitely um, check that out if you get a chance as well. Um, and then John had mentioned, um, you know, the Oakland fire sale in uh, in '76. You know, the A's had that those years of dominance. You know, in the early '70s, what the A's won like three in a row? Yeah, '72, '73, yeah. and '74. Yeah. Um, but then you know they just decided they you know they want to get rid of the whole team, you know, um, just selling all the contracts. So you had Vita Blue, Don Baylor, you know. Um, Raleigh things. Fingers. Yeah, Fingers, right. Um, and, and uh, you know, of course, tried to contact Bill Veck of the White Sox uh, <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, finally, as Jonathan mentioned, you know, um, that, uh, that it was, you know, the moves were voided. Um, yeah, the A's ended up still actually almost almost making the playoffs that year too. Yeah, they were just like two or three games back behind the Royals. I think. Yeah, yeah, right. So despite all that turmoil, you know, um, they, they still put together a pretty competitive season. So that's that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, and you know those, you know, gosh, you know the 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 two National League teams, even though the Royals had a good squad that year, and um, you know, the National League teams were just. You know the Phillies and the and the particularly the Reds were just so good. Well, yeah, and I mean the playoffs. It, you know they're kind of short and sweet that year. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, the the ALCS. Everybody, I guess, knows if you're a Yankees fan about the Chris Shambliss walk off homer. Right, and, and not so important is the fact that he hit a home run. It's the there's literally zero security at Yankee Field. <laughs> like as soon as the ball, like the ball's not even in the stands, and half the stadium is like on the field. Yeah. Like he, I, he, I don't even know if he gets to touch third or home. Like there's, finally he gets like maybe in between third and home, and he just like kind of breaks through, like shoving people to the dugout. <laughs> and, and if you watch the YouTube video, we'll, we'll post it with, uh-huh. uh, with one of our clips. And it's just amazing. The, it is, it, it, it's just chaos, utter chaos. Yeah. It, you don't see that now. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> I mean, security would just be all over. It, well, yeah, no, like people would, they be breaking out guns and pointing tear gas yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's literally madness it's so crazy and um what yeah. the York interest- was a dangerous place in the 70s you know oh yeah well and then so yeah th- to go from that high to then just getting swept in the world series had to be had to be something um one of the things i think was so neat is the 76 Reds were the only team to ever sweep all the brackets of a playoff system. Wow. And um, during the World Series, this goes to show how good the Reds were. During the World Series, which was only four games, but they made zero substitutions, offense or defense. No kidding. Crazy. Oh, they only made pitching changes. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's how rock solid they were. Yeah. Jeez. So, so yeah, they just it, it, they were destined to win that World Series, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wow. know, I, I need to look back, Levi, on the on the Reds topic. Like, you know, Cincinnati, kind of a you know smaller market, smaller oh, yeah. smaller city. You know, I yeah. mean, compared to you know a lot of the major sports markets, had it been a pretty exciting time, you know, for that town. Oh, yeah, you I know? can. I mean, yeah. just to be the the toast of sports for a few years in a in a market that, you know, aside from the 1990 Reds, hasn't really had much success since then, you know. Yeah. You can't, can't count on the Bengals, all right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, it was... the first round of the playoffs, at least. Anyway. You ahead. know, it was kind of a long time coming because the Reds were successful in the early 90s. Uh, but they just could or I'm sorry, in the early 70s, but they just couldn't break through. They were successful yeah. in the early 90s as well. But, right. <laughs> uh, but in the early 70s, but yeah, they just didn't break through. And then... So yeah, those two World Series were um, uh, were a long time coming in a sense, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it's it's got to be one of the most dominant teams for one of the smallest one of the the smallest markets. 
Oh, yeah, know, yeah. They had a TV show, you know, WKRP. Things were looking pretty good for things them. Things were looking pretty that. good for Cincy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I might have invested in some real estate in the early <laughs> right. 80s in Cincy or something, right? Right. The, uh, yeah. You know, the one big thing, it's just amazing to think how – I, no, just sweeping everybody to me. That seems like it's got to instantly put them as, if not the best team of all time, as like one of the top three or four or five baseball teams of all time, the 76 Reds. I think they'd have to be. They I mean, were, I, uh, you'd have Yankees fans yeah. probably arguing. Yeah, well, they, they pissed the Yankees but, yeah. off so much that they won the World Series the next two years. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And apparently it was charged that the uh, Yankees were stealing signs via the broadcast in the first game. Uh, and they still couldn't win. The Yankees held the lead for all of two innings, I think, that, that series. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they dominated. It was, it was an afterthought that they would win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I would have enjoyed some kind of, like, Super Bowl shuffle video from them you would like, like like joe morgan you know I mean? and joe morgan and pete rose like <laughs> we've got a actually no pete guys, you I, don't know, I, don't if, I don't know if you guys knew this or not but um uh, uh joe morgan's actually on one of those return to forever records um, <laughs> it, this isn't this isn't widely known okay joe morgan <laughs> played some percussion on george benson's breeze in that year <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's reason's a guilty pleasure here. Man. <laughs> um, anyway, well, fun times, guys. Um, good, uh, good conversation. We'd like to thank our friend John White for hanging out yes. with us tonight. Thank you very so much, John. Thank Appreciate you very much for having me on. I had a great time. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for all the good uh, music recommendations as well. Uh, everybody, if you want to learn more about rock and roll Shinsu Chu, check out rockchu.com. Uh, you can find previous episodes, links to cool things we've discussed, um, just really everything in the whole rock and roll Shinsu Chu universe you can find at rockchu.com. Um, also, uh, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rockinchu. That's rockinchu. Uh, in as in, gosh, I didn't have one for tonight. Um, man, um, nobody Perez, he played for the, the Reds, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry guys, the best I can do. Um, sorry about that for God, but anyway, yeah. uh, at rock in chew, uh, rock in chew on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook. And then also please, if you could go to iTunes, um, and, uh, you know, tell us what you think of the podcast and subscribe to it. Uh, that certainly would help us out and, uh, spread the word. So uh, again, rockchew.com. And until next time, we'll see everybody later. Take care. Peace. Good night.